Welcome to the School of Humanity podcast. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Not only does God long for you, but you are like Him. What does this mean for you? How does it affect your view of God? How does it affect your view of yourself? How does that affect everything? This, this is, is the School, School of Humanity. Humanity. Hello and welcome to the School of Humanity. This is Rachel Bullman. And Jason Bullman. And this is episode... 45. Nice. Yeah. That's um, amazing. 45. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us week after week. Uh, we are excited this week because we are recording this in the middle of National Marriage Week. I bet you didn't know that a thing existed such as this. Um, but February 11th also was National or the World Marriage Day celebrated by the Catholic Church. Um, World Marriage Day was started in 1983 by the Worldwide Marriage Encounter. And every year, usually around Valentine's Day, um, is National Marriage Week here in the USA. And this year is from February 7th through the 14th. And actually, yes, on February 10th, on that uh, Saturday, um, our diocese, the Orlando Diocese, had a, a, a special mass for couples to renew their vows. And uh, Bishop Noonan was the, the celebrant there, and it was, it was beautiful, I'm sure. We were not able to attend, but um, it's just an exciting thing to be able to focus for a week, you know, our, our efforts and our, and our lives just on promoting marriage and family and to build a culture of life and love. Yeah, and of course it speaks to our hearts because that's our premier vocation. And uh, so we thought it would be uh, maybe a good topic to talk about, you know, what we see as um, the, I don't know, how do we say it? Five. Our five, the five things that we know have, have made our, our marriage work. Right. Yeah. But first we wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, we were reading a theologian named Karl Rahner, who was really prominent during the Second Vatican Council. He's German. He's German. He's uh, made a lot of great contributions. Did um, he hang out with Ratzinger? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like that whole German yeah, school there's of the theologians. Yeah, Concilium was uh, Yeah, Rahner, group. von Balthasar. De Lubach. De Lubach. There was a girl there, von Speyer. Yes, she was kind of behind the scenes with Hanser's uh, von Balthazar. Um, <laughs> yeah, she is. I mean, she's a mystic. She's pretty amazing. She's amazing. So, um, But, you know, in one of the documents we were reading recently, he talks about the fact that we have to stop thinking about marriage from a negative theological standpoint and from a positive uh, standpoint. In other words, we have to recognize that marriage is, in fact, a vocation, a calling, and not right. um, a weakness, which it had at least subconsciously been perceived that way for a long time where, you know, you get married if you, you know, are too weak to be celibate, you know. Right. It's kind of like this hermeneutic where, you know, only the elite become priests who are right and a lot of that had to strong. do with with the scripture interpretations that were happening with saint paul um when he talks right. about the fact that like you know you you have less distraction basically if you're not 
married and if you can avoid it to avoid it but you have to take into account who he was speaking to at that time what was going on in the town that he was speaking writing that letter to um so but i mean it certainly underlined um a lot i mean it was at least subconsciously like any any young person who was seeking holiness i know i went through it for a while it was kind of seen like you know well you just get married if you can't you know, if can't, you're not called to the priest, priest, right, right, or a religious, or yeah, whatever. they call it like the default vocation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, so, if these other things don't work, well, I guess I'm going to get married, right? Which is just utterly false, you know. And I, we there's a calling there as well, sure. And the church is recognizing it now. I mean, they're promoting marriage um, this week and particularly this day because it is, in fact, you know, a vocation, a calling to holiness. And your holiness can only be achieved in the context of your vocation. And so, you know, if you see your vocation as a hindrance to holiness because, you know, it's a distraction from God, well, I mean, you can see all the inner turmoil that can result from that, right? Right. Most definitely. um, That's with any vocation. If you see any vocation in that light. um, And just the theology of the body and then the Trinitarian understanding of marriage as a image of the trinitarian economy correct uh, then you really get to see how beautiful vocation to marriage is and uh how holiness can certainly be achieved especially when children get involved too <laughs> right um so anyway so we're going to dive a little bit into these these five tips. You know, we only have 30 minutes or so. So right. uh, we could probably talk about this for 25 times that. <laughs> yes, yeah. But we quickly, you know, off the top of our head the other day, or, you know, within the last few days, we've been talking about some things that we feel like have really contributed to what we would deem success in our marriage, you know, Uh and we're pretty young in this in, in this realm. You know, there's probably many of you listening that have been married much longer than we have. Um, we've been married for... Uh, Nine years. Thank you, Jason. Um, as you guys know, I never remember that. Never remember how long we've been married. So, um, <laughs> Or how old I am. So we've been married for nine years. Uh, we played the newlywed game today on the diaconate retreat, our monthly diaconate retreat played like the catholic version of the newlywed game we came in second which is pretty great you know um and uh the one of the one of the things that we really thought was important was um like that obvious thing that most people would say would be prayer right right um praying individually and praying together yeah Um, and it's a hurdle i mean let's be honest because praying with your spouse it's it's la- it's letting them into like the most, I guess, uh, vulnerable or intimate, you know, conversation. Right, it is, and there's some some sort of like weird pressure when you first begin to pray with other people, and you know, praying with your spouse may be the first time that you've actually prayed out loud in front of other right. people, you know, because just that in and of itself is a hurt is is like. A growth, you know. What uh, would you say would be your advice? And and let's let's put this out on the table too. So Jason and I, when we first met, I mean, our prayer life was very different. It was. 
It was. Um, I mean, part of it was just because our upbringing. Yeah, I mean, you were from a Protestant background. That I was, I was from, cooler. From Catholic, yes. I mean, you're you're very um, you were very used to uh, being open in that way, right? And um, but yet, with me, you were reserved about it because because I was also intimidated by your. Um, contemplative right and you were becoming catholic and right. so there's the whole like you're you're recognizing the beauty and the depth that's the catholic faith and right. like what you you're like scared that what you had been used to and what you had participated in may not live up to what i think maybe even part of me thought that it was wrong you know right um, right that maybe the way i've been praying all that time <clears throat> was was incorrect right um and so I would say the question then, and we're a good example of that, is like, what do you do when you have a sp- spouses? Is that a correct plural way to say that? Spouses? That sounds, that sounds weird. Yeah. Um, no, I think that works. <laughs> but, uh, when a husband and wife come together and you have different prayer styles, how do you pray together when you have different prayer styles? I think the Catholic Church does provide some beautiful rote prayers that you should get into it would be beautiful to do together. The rosary provides that, of course. Um, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, the other novenas and things that are out there are beautiful rote prayers that you can do together. Uh, the Liturgy of the Office. I know that we've we've met a few people recently that don't like the Liturgy of the Office, but right. you know it really does provide a way for you to be in a rhythm together um, and to also pray for with people around the world. It's amazing. Um, well, and, go ahead. And I think the important thing about rote prayer was best, best illustrated to me by a, a good friend of ours who lives now down in Ave Maria, Mike McQuaid. Uh, hey, Mike. Um, <laughs> but he came back from Steubenville once and we were talking about his experience of being, a, he wasn't attending. He was a, he was a, a chaperone. A chaperone. And he was telling us about um, the night, one night they, they were singing, Ike Nadolo was leading, and um, they were singing Memorial, great song if you've never heard it. Um, and the bridge of that song is, we're all dry bones, um, longing, longing for, for a savior. Yeah. Um, something about putting our dry bones back together or something like that. <laughs> Sorry if I got I screwed that all up. But they just were singing that over and over again. And it lasted for a really long time. And Mike was like, you know, it just got to the point where we've been singing it so long that you didn't even know you were singing it anymore. Like you were. You were definitely audibly singing these words over and over again. But you were singing it so much that that became second nature to the prayer that you were saying in your heart. Right. And he was like, that, that was like a light bulb for him. That that's what the rosary and rote prayers provide. They provide this space where you can almost kind of distract yourself from your own distractions, right? To make way for what's really in your heart. Um, that's a great point about about rote prayer. Um, but for us, I think we just we just continued to admire that in one another. I mean, I admired Jason's contemplative nature, and I think you admired my charismatic nature. Sure. And it's and you know, you know, I don't know that. So what what's on my heart to say now is that you know, first of all, we have to understand what praying is, and and the way that I would say this is that 
we don't do prayer, you know, like it's not, right. you know, first prayer, first of all, is passive and receptive. And so when, you, and it's only when you, you know, I hate saying feel loved, but only when you come to understand that you're loved, that you can then give yourself back, you know, and that is what prayer is, is a response in love to the love that you've been given. And so when you pray, you're giving yourself. And so that's why it's so vulnerable, especially when you pray out loud in front of other people is because you're literally giving, you're putting yourself out on a platter. And, you know, if someone was to reject it, it's like, you know, cutting your person up in pieces, you know, so it's, it's a vulnerability. I don't know that there's different styles. There's just different people praying and giving themselves as they are in response and loving right. response to God. And so, um, it's, yeah, as far as like rote prayer goes, you know, like the rosary or saying something over and over again to allow for meditation, what you're doing is allowing yourself to understand that you're beloved and then being capacitated then to respond in love by giving yourself. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of prayers that can result. There's prayers of adoration where you're just like, you know, God, I love you above all things and we adore you and glorify you. And, and then there's, you know, then you start to think of your, what you're thankful for. And, you know, we thank you for right who we are and what you've given us and who you are. And, uh, you know, then you pray for other people and, and right. all kinds of responses come out, different types of prayer. Um, but it should be genuine, you know. Uh, that's the whole key. It doesn't matter, like, what you say or how you say it. It's just that it needs to be heartfelt and then it will be beautiful. Right, and if you have nothing to say, don't say anything. Right. You know? Don't feel compelled the to, heart like, knows. make something I mean, up. And God yes. knows your heart, you know. Um I would say again, uh, trusting God. That's another tip. Yes. Tip number two. Yes. Would be trusting God. Even even we were talking about this earlier, and and just that even even embarking upon the the sacrament of marriage and and the possibility of making a covenant with another person, it takes takes a large element of trust. There's a lot of if ands or buts that that will always stare you in the face when you're considering someone for a spouse and considering someone for a lifetime commitment and for a covenant to then sacramentally become one that's huge right um right um, and so there's trust that comes with that, yeah, I mean, even our theology teacher today she was saying how her teacher talked about the ridiculous ridiculousness of the idea um that young people have where they feel it's intelligent to like live together to sort of test out marriage before they're married because he was simply making the point that you can't you can't test out beforehand like marriage is something is life-changing yeah you are not married until you are actually married (laughs) and you know so there is an element of faith that has to enter into that and that is not a bad thing and once you start to learn to walk by faith and not by sight and trust in god so many worries fall away, you know, and life is so much more happy, right? Right. Um, so, um, so that's before you get married. That's before you get married. Then and after then, you get married, yeah. there's still tons of stuff that happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jason and I have been married nine years. Sorry, I just looked at him just to affirm that. Yes. Nine years. We've had four children. Jason's had a... He's been in the same job since we, since we got married. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but during that job, there's been a lot of changes. He works crazy hours yeah. uh, during that time. So there's been various changes within just that job. Um, I had a job and quit working to stay at home with the children. Right. Um, and then, so we took, you know, a financial, a financial cut back then to do that. Yeah. Um, we go putting from, the kids in school. Well, even before that, going from one kid to two kid and then from two kid to three kid. I mean, each one of those is like a huge change. Right. Uh, you know, cause you're bringing new life and new life is new life. I mean, <laughs> right. The world is, the, the world is literally forever right, changed. Right. So. Um, especially our world, you know, so each time trying to figure out life together and then trusting that, you know, there's definitely this huge, huge pressure on you that our world tells you don't embark on anything until you know what lies ahead. And right. a lot of times you don't know. And what that's, lies ahead. I mean, control is an illusion. I'll tell you that if you think that you're in control and you've got, you know, your life planned out, I mean, you're just wrong. <laughs> I mean, just, you might as well set that aside <laughs> and uh, start to trust people, in God. Trust me. There are a me. lot of people that just turned off the podcast. Right. So, great no, job, No, I mean, but it is a source of anxiety when you try to control yourself. Right. Uh, you know, control what happens. So. Right. And, and what's beautiful about this trust, though, I know we need to move on, is that we get to do it together. Yeah. You know, and that, that's And we get to hold this. each other accountable to that. That's definitely right. one of the biggest things is, is that we, all of these tips and, and everything else that continues to make our marriage work that's not included in these tips are things that we hold each other accountable to. You know, like I, we, we pray for one another. You know, not only do we pray together and pray separately, but we try to pray for one another. This, this, these moments of trusting God Oftentimes, the Lord is gracious enough to provide us with times where one of us is not trusting in God, but the other is, and we can pull each other up and say, you know, gosh, let me show you, if you can't trust right now, I'll trust enough for both of us, and you just trust me. Right. Um, yeah. So, one, two, prayer, trusting God, um, laughter. Yeah, you got to laugh. I'm pretty hilarious, so I make that really yeah. easy for Jason. Also, uh, I'm a klutz and kind of did see sometimes uh, too. So. You know, I, my spiritual director often has to remind me that you know the uh, the angels can fly because they're so lighthearted and take themselves lightly. You right. know, if you find that you, you're so centered on yourself, you're heavy hearted all the time, then you need to laugh a little bit. Yes, and Jason just... <laughs> is. I don't know if you guys have seen Jason. Jason also has been mistaken for Flynn Rider at some points. That's true. I don't know if you've seen Tangled, but he's he's brooding. He broods a lot. Jason broods sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> thankfully, he married me, who's hilarious. So, and it, usually, I'm the only one laughing, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you do find yourself very funny. <laughs> um, See, right now you're laughing yeah, at yourself. Yeah, I'm hilarious. Look at that. <laughs> but, you know, life, there's definitely like, um, I think it's in, uh, I want to say it's the Book of Wisdom. Maybe not the Book of Wisdom, though. Um, but, you know, there's a time for everything. There's a time for laughter and there's a time for weeping. Right, um, right. And so. Uh, and you should laugh a lot more than. You, uh, well, yes. weeping in a good way is good. Weeping in a good way is great. Yes. Go, a good, you should go out, all of you, after you listen to this 30 minute podcast, go and listen, go and go to YouTube and type in Jimmy V, Arthur Ashe. You could just type in Jimmy V speech. Jimmy yeah. V was a basketball coach. 
uh, came down with cancer and was awarded the Arthur Ashe Award. Um, gives a great talk. Gives a great talk. And in there he says that, you know, three things you should do every day are do something that moves you to tears. Spend some time in silence. And to also um, laugh until laugh you cry. Until you cry. Yeah. Um, and so those are definitely, you know, included a little bit here in these tips as well. Um, but so laughter, yeah. you know, I think we laugh a lot together. Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, we have a a great life. I mean, with the kids and, yeah. you know, whether, pretty whether you're laughing because you're so exhausted and like what you're going through is just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, there was one day we were <laughs> not so long ago, we were trying to get ready for something and everyone was losing it, right? Like the kids were totally yeah. losing it. And we, la- um, we looked at each other. At various <laughs> moments. And I think we just looked at each other and just, I just started laughing. Like it might've been like a little bit of a maniacal, I'm right. losing my mind laugh. I may light our house on fire because I think I might, I'm dying. Um, I kind of laughed, but it was still, you know. Oh my gosh, that was such a funny moment. I wish we captured that on film. So laughter. So prayer, trusting in God, laughter, communication. Yeah. Um, that's definitely something that we've been, you know, we've been, we're now in the aspirant year of the diaconate formation for our diocese. Um, and the first year was just meeting four times a year. Just discernment. Discernment. So it was like a Saturday at four points during the year of discernment. And in the aspirant year, you start to meet once a month. The husband and wife both go, and you go for a full weekend together, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Um, and during that time, you're also working on getting a, a degree in theology. You know, depending on where you're at in life, if it's a just a certificate, if it's a master's, if it's an undergrad. Right. Um, and so that first semester was was a doozy. It was a doozy. It was a doozy. It's been um, a while. And so uh, it, uh, there were a lot of papers due. Yeah, yeah. We only met like August, September, October, November, and one of those we missed, so four or five times um, because of the hurricane. And I mean, you probably had six to eight papers due during that time. And so it was, it was a rough, it's kind of a trial by fire type thing. Yes. Um, of having to read so many books and then write papers and journals and reflections, but also still maintain balance your life with our life. Yeah. You know, Um, So I mean, it takes a lot of planning and coordinating. Right. And there were definitely moments of frustration, you know, um, and so it was just this being able to communicate with one another about our joys and our woes, you know? Right. And of being able to love each other through that. Because there were times when Jason was totally stressed about getting a paper done and needing needing to have that time to do that. But then he also carries this guilt of like, I need to do the paper, but I also need to help Rachel and be with my kids. Be with, be with the kids, yeah. Not even help anything, just be with us. You right. Know? Um, and I think vice versa, like I needed help or I just wanted to miss see you and missed you. But I'm like, oh, he needs to finish his paper. Right. You know, or he needs to read. And so. And um, we have this tendency to just keep it inside rather than communicate about right, it. And right. when you do that, it like builds up and builds up and then you explode. Right. I mean, uh, I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but just that open communication, not just within us, you know, discerning the diaconate, but just in general with our marriage. You know, there's definitely that thought of um, I don't want to bother them with these things that are seemingly small. Right. But there are things that, 
you know, even if something simple like, um, <laughs> like, uh, I, I have an inability to close all the drawers on my dresser completely. Mm-hmm. They always like are open somehow. Right. Uh, Jason also sometimes puts his dirty clothes on top of the hamper. That's because it's full. (laughs) (laughs) So, therefore, he has an inability to wash clothes. (laughs) I mean, this is because I get home so late from work. and Are are we going to have a spat? Do you have have other excuses? Do do you want to do this? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, so ladies, listen, my trump card right now, for the longest time, it's been four people were pulled out of my body at some point. So he could talk about how he doesn't do laundry. And so I just, I use that trump card. But anyway, um, not all of us have that trump card. I understand. So, Uh, but anyway, love. So just being able to say that to one another, you know, without anybody losing it. He's like, Hey, do you think you could like push in the drawers on your dresser? (laughs) And, uh, there's oftentimes that we laugh because we'll like get in bed and I look over and I'm like, look, None of my drawers are pushed in. <laughs> you have to know, you have to discern when the right time to say that is. Right, and there's definitely just stuff that's just dumb. I mean, and and I would also invite you, if communication is a thing, um, which it is, uh, that if his socks on top of the hamper bother you to the point of wanting to scream, to look a little bit inward, because I guarantee it's not about the socks. Right. So. It's an unrest for some other It reason. is definitely an yeah. unrest for something else. Yep. Um, and so a lot of times there are things like that that are very small things that we'll discuss and it's not a big deal. Um, right. But when things definitely linger, it's definitely a, a good time to do some inward inward examination yeah. to see, you know, what's, what's really going on. And. That's a big part of how you become holy in a, in a marriage. Right. I mean, if that person has now become an enemy to you, then you need to analyze, you know, and pray and think about what it is within yourself that has caused you to see animosity in the in your beloved. Right. Do you know what I mean? Or towards your beloved. Right. Um, and then when you reflect and you realize whatever it is inside you that's going on, well, you've just grown immensely, actually. Um Right, and do something about that stuff. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Don't just discover it and then, you know, and then talk try to find it. ways to hide it. Right. You know, you, you spend some communication is not only talking with one another, but it's also being silent. You know, introspection, real introspection, really happens in silence. You know, a lot of times we don't spend time in silence because we're scared of that. You're scared to be alone with your own thoughts um, and alone with your whatever happens to be going on in your heart. But man, silence provides just this beautiful canvas for you to, to refinish yourself in, in the image of Christ that maybe has been marred. Um, right. Being in silence together too is important. It is. I mean, that, I've Not said it before. Separate. One of my favorite memories of, of when I first started dating Jason, uh, we've been dating a few months, but we, we were sitting somewhere in silence, and I didn't even realize it. I mean, we were a couple of minutes into the silence, and I was like, oh, I can be quiet with him. Like, this is awesome. And I think that you've reached a pinnacle in your relationship when there is no need for, for words, anything yeah. else, you know, and yeah. not just in your relationship with one another, but your relationship with God as well. Right. 
you know, because, to be able to just sit and be with him. Yeah, I think it's really hard to be with someone in silence and it not be boredom, you know, right. if you have not made God, you know, above everything else in your life. Because, you know, when that happens, you have this kind of interior solitude to begin with right. in a way. And, and so then the two of you can be alone with God in silence and everything is 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 beautiful um it's kind of like your home can become a little monastery um which interestingly enough the word monk comes from monacos which means uh which means oh it's escaping me i think it means one oh like to be one with god you know not like not like solitary not like um you know alone but rather one with one with yeah with not, not only one god. apart yeah and not only with god but with the whole body of christ especially your spouse who you've become one with so right um, you do truly become like monks and so the last thing <clears throat> you know we have a few more minutes left um to talk about it but our last thing is a word that we've often used um but is kenosis you know um this pouring out one for the other. And today, one of um, one of our friends was asking me, you know, what are some practical ways that you can practice kenosis in your marriage? Um, yeah. And there's so many facets of kenosis. You know, there's there's the altruism part of it. There's that that habit that you have to form within yourself to make sure that everything that you're doing is is for the good of the other. You know, um, from waking up at a certain time to to helping to get laundry done to pushing in the drawers of your dresser to um giving Jason time to to pray to to study um to teaching our children about what all of this means you know to be married or to become a priest um to become a consecrated virgin you know what do all these things mean and why am I doing these things? You know, making sure that you're doing them not only for the good of the other, but the good of the heart of Christ in this church. Um, right. I mean, essentially what you're asking is how do you not be selfish? And the truth is that you do have a will. You can make decisions. And are your decisions selfish? You know, when you get up in the morning and you make very and you do various things throughout the day, who are you doing that for? Is it primarily for you and for your own routine and your own satisfaction, your own whatever pleasure or growth or whatever? Or are you waking up and Christ is the first thing on your mind and the reality that's been given to you in, you know, in context of him, which is your spouse in this case and your kids, and are you living to die for them, you know, for their sake, you know, is what you do because you love them and you want them to have the most beautiful life and want them to become the saints they're called to be, you know, and each little thing that you do throughout the day is either an act of selfishness or of altruism, every single thing you do. So practically, my first thought is you need to fast and pray if you are a selfish person. And I mean, we, we all are to some degree. Right. And, you know, that's why fasting is selfless self-preservation because you're preserving who you're truly called to be, which is 
altruistic because you right. are made in the image and likeness of God who is altruistic in himself. So if and, you, you're selfish, you're actually being, you know, you're not being who you're, who you are um, right. in your inmost self. So, um, and the other thing is, is, you know, being able to rejoice with and suffer with the other, I think is a very important part of kenosis. Um, not only is it a constant pouring out of yourself to where there's nothing left for you. Uh, and there's a there's this awful thing that happens at some point. I mean, we were watching, I was watching some show um, the other day and I heard someone say, well, yeah, I'm doing this for me. You know, I've given up so much for him that I've got to do this for me. I mean, really? I just, I just find that incredible. Um well, then you haven't really given up anything right. for him because it's when you give that you receive, you right. know. And so um, not only this this giving up, this pouring out of yourself for the other. And let me tell you something. Jason and I do not do this perfectly. No. We obviously try and try and fa- fail and try, fail a couple more times, try, 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 try. Um, over and over again. And every time that we do this, you know, it makes us, it hopefully makes us holy. Um, but this suffering with and this rejoicing with is beautiful. If you truly see another person as also being made in the image of God, and if you truly see them as your brother and sister, um, and you truly see them as partaking in the divine and being part of the body of Christ with you, then their joy is your joy. Yeah. Um, and their suffering is your suffering. You know, just recently, Jason and I, um, we've been talking a lot about various facets of our life and where, th- where things need to change to better coincide with our desire for sainthood. You know, what changes do we need to make around the house? You know, we have too much stuff. Let's get rid of some stuff to make things a little bit easier, you know, cleaning up the house. You know, what can we change about work that makes that seem a little bit easier? What can we change about the way that we're raising our children to hopefully make that a more... Um, ready ground for sowing seeds of holiness. You know, how can we do that? And, and in all of that, one of the things that I've noticed is that when we, when I see Jason hurting, you know, a lot of times I say, I think to myself, well, you know, if you did it like this, it would be a lot easier for you. And I think as wives, we have a tendency to do that because we're a lot of times making a lot of household decisions. Um, and you're nurturing and you're nurturing, you know, so yeah. I see Jason suffer and I think, well, then let me help you fix that, which that's actually also a male thing. You guys are fixers as well. Right. Um, but as women, we say, you know, gosh, let me show you how to do your laundry. Let me show you how to do these things. Not that Jason doesn't know how to do laundry. It's an example. Um, <laughs> but, you know, let me show you how to do this a little bit differently. And this weekend, you know, one of the things that was a, a beautiful fruit from this retreat for us was that while I look at things and I say, gosh, you know, honey, what if you did it like this? A lot of times what I'm saying is you should do that like me. Like if I were you, this is the way that I would do it. But the thing is, is I'm not Jason. If I was Jason, our marriage would be dang boring. Right. Also not compatible with canon law. If, uh, right. <laughs> if, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, is that the things that are different about Jason and I are actually what make us complimentary. Um. And I have to suffer with him in that, you know, if, if, if he is suffering because part of him, um, thrives and, and sees a meekness and a desire there to be kind of, 
to be a certain way as opposed to whatever way I would do something, then he can find those moments to be, to change his approach to certain things in life, you know? This sounds very ambiguous, and I hope that I'm helping. Is this at all this very ambiguous? <laughs> but a little bit. A little um, bit. So, I mean, like take for instance, okay, with our kids. You know, Jason, you know, Jason is very much the fun guy. He comes in, and it's going to be a good time. Um, but our kids know that when mommy puts her foot down, mommy puts her foot down. We, they don't really question me too much, but they will push Jason until Jason has to come in and be like, can't do it anymore. You got to go in there and, and put your foot down. And there are a lot of times that I'm like, gosh, Jay, I wish you would be a little bit more aggressive with him. You got to say it like this. Right. If you say it with this tone, then it'll be different and they'll do what you need them right. to do. Right. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that is the beauty of our marriage. That is the beauty of our co-parenting them is that, because I don't do the things that Jason does with them to make him the fun guy. It's not just because he's fun. It's also because he does things that mommy doesn't do. Right. Um, and the way that we discipline them is vastly different. And how we we are able to communicate with each of them is different. We both know various moments when the other person would get through to maybe Gabriel more than the than ourselves, you know. Right. And it's being able to appreciate that in one another. If you and your spouse are one, you can't hate that in them. Right. I think there's a balance between, uh, you know, allowing the person to, the, your spouse to, um, you know, maybe make mistakes or do things that you see as, as um, you know, not their, they're not living up to their fullest. Um, and then also, but I mean, women have a particular feminine genius. Men have a particular mm -hmm. feminine genius that we are called to in a way, you know, poke and prod and, and, uh, you know, um, not poke and prod, but, but just, um, guide, you know, each other to be better men and women that we're called to be. Um, right. And let me, I, I, this, this final thought, cause we're definitely running over is that not too long ago, um, our children were, they are very young now, but they were much younger. We would go to mass and they'd be crazy, you know, trying to climb all over us and talk and various things, trying to snack on things. And their the little bags are super loud. Um, and Jason's trying to pray. And I remember just being frustrated in and of myself because I feel like they're disturbing him. You know, this should be his time to pray. And I'm completely discounting, discounting myself. You know, I'm, 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 it's not like I don't think that I should also have the time to pray. But I'm more concerned about Jason. Gosh, let me let me take the kids outside and Jason can stay in here and pray. And oftentimes, because of the way that I would approach it, Jason would have no choice but to really let me do that. So one day I'm talking about it in spiritual direction and about how I just don't, I don't want to take that from him. And my spiritual director looked at me and he said, has it ever occurred to you that you also might be taking his ability to father them? Right. And I remember just being like, crap, you're totally right. And so a big part of that, a big part of that that would have fixed that, A, was, uh, you know, being able to pray about it to seek spiritual direction as well. And then to be able to communicate with him. You know, funny, if you want to do these things 
let's just talk about it and let's just do it together. You know, you, you tell me and we, we do this whole thing together. Um, being able to laugh about the times that I probably took on too much and was standing in the narthex with three children that were climbing me like a jungle gym. Um, while he is on the inside also in turmoil, worried about us out in the narthex. Um, but then to also continue to practice that kenosis with one another, because even though it is something beautiful that we're trying to pour out ourselves for one another, the, the correct way to do that cannot happen without prayer and without trusting in God, without communication, because it can very quickly turn into a self-martyring that doesn't need to exist within a marriage. Right. It has to be giving of oneself for the good of the other. And it always occurs if both of you are doing that. One of you can't do it without the other also doing it. That's the beauty of the Trinity. Each of the three people in the Trinity are giving of themselves for the other. Um, and so if you continue to do that, life always comes from that. And that doesn't mean necessarily children. But life always comes from that kind of self-gift. Yeah. Amen. So God bless all of our marriages and the vocations that are that are pouring out of those marriages that are already there. God bless our church for these beautiful, beautiful celebration of National Marriage Week. We hope that we've helped you in some way. Yeah. And we continue to pray for your marriage. Will you please pray for ours? God bless you.